Coming up on Market to Market, a deep dive into the rural economy and how it impacts the commodity markets. We bring in regular market analyst Chris Robinson and Creighton University economist Ernie Goss next. What's the most complex industry on Earth? It's not genetics or meteorology or logistics. It's a business that involves them all. It's farming. Thank you, farmers, from Pioneer. Tomorrow, for over 100 years, we've worked to help our customers be ready for tomorrow. Trust in tomorrow. Information is available from a Grinnell Mutual agent today. This is the Friday, November 25th edition of Market to Market, the weekly journal of rural America. Hello, I'm Paul Yeager. We are recording this episode ahead of the Thanksgiving holiday to allow our producers and crew to enjoy the holiday with their family and friends. Before we tape the show, there were some headlines to get to. They include losses in crude oil, as well as the potential of a rail strike and the ongoing battle in Ukraine and Russia over exports. Let's begin, though, with the closes for the week. As of Tuesday, the nearby wheat contract was down 12 cents, while the March corn contract fell 11 cents. Sideline talks between the U.S. and China, as well as low water levels on the Mississippi River, held the soy complex to limited gains. The January soybean contract improved two pennies, while January meal dropped $1.10 per ton. March cotton decreased $1.36 per hundredweight. Over in the dairy parlor, December Class Three milk futures plummeted 49 cents. The livestock market was higher as February cattle added 58 cents. Feeders put on 90 cents and the February lean hog contract was up 53 cents. In the currency markets, the U.S. dollar index gained 25 ticks. January crude oil climbed $1.16 per barrel. COMEX gold dropped 18.10 per ounce. And the Goldman Sachs commodity index was up almost 11 points to finish at 6 27.70. Back now to provide some insight at the table, our regulars, Chris Robinson, frequent guest, Ernie Goss. Gentlemen, good to see you both. Good to be here. Chris, we'll get to you in a moment. You know how this whole commodity market thing goes. So we'll start with Ernie. What's the state of the rural economy as we sit here tonight? Not good, at least according to our survey bank CEOs in rural areas of 10 states. Average community size is about 1,300, and I was included in that uh, survey each month. And the bankers tell six straight months the index has been below growth neutral, but it's sort of bifurcated. That is, the farm economy, that's farmers are doing reasonably well. In other words, their cash positions are pretty solid. Uh, bankers have not uh, asked for any more upfront money on loans or more down payments or whatever you wish to call it. And they're, when you look out, they're saying farm loan defaults not going to be there, at least their judgment. But when you turn to Main Street, that's the businesses on rural Main Street, as we call it, not good there. It's dry cleaners, leisure and hospitality, hotels, motels, restaurants. And I'm familiar with your surveys, mm -hmm. but one thing that always comes up when I read them is I, I look at more how do you differentiate between sentiment mm -hmm. and cold hard numbers? Well, the cold hard numbers, uh, well, it depends on uh, uh, what what you mean by cold, hard numbers. I, I think no, even the, even the Bureau of Labor Statistics numbers, are they really cold, hard? Or are they from a sample? They're from a sample. 
So cold, hard numbers, we're, we typically, uh, we don't integrate those in, the, as you call them, the cold, hard numbers, because these these aren't, this is for the month of November, the latest numbers. BLS, Bureau of Labor Statistics, we won't even see those numbers for the states until the end of December. So we have to do some of that. And, and so many uh, government reports are looked back. Absolutely. Not look forward. Do you consider yours more of a look forward? Just to a large degree. Some of the questions are looking forward, and that's part of the sentiment, the bank bankers' sentiment. Now, these are not, they're speaking sort of for the farmers, yeah. and it's, it's the lowest we've seen since the pandemic. In other words, the, the sentiment dropped significantly after the pandemic began in, in March of 2020, and then it, it, it revived after that. Now we're back to those levels of uh, the pandemic, when the pandemic began. Chris, does that line up with what you're hearing with customers in rural America? I think the biggest thing uh, everybody's kind of concerned about is what's going to happen with interest rates. Yeah. I think that's really what it is. And, well, know, up. How's that? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, there you go. I mean, see, the Federal Reserve, Jay Powell, he even gets miffed. You can see him visibly angry when somebody said, well, we think you're maybe going to pivot or you're going to cease. And he says, Read my lips. No, we're raising rates. So didn't mean to interrupt. There. No, I think that's absolutely true. And I think that uh, that's probably the biggest concern even for farmers in general. If your borrowing costs are going to go up, um, we know that the, the core inflation has gone up 7% or 7.8%. Um, but I think it's going to be the number one thing farmers are looking at is how much have their inputs gone up? Mm. Are their rates, Are their, um, if they're paying cash rents, are those going to go up? And... Um, you know, that's going to be, a, uh, I think, a big worry about for a lot of people because you've, you've got to know what your bottom line is. People don't know what their bottom line is. They get nervous. They get nervous. They don't spend money. And then we talk about the, you know, the R word. Are we going to be, are mm -hmm. we going to have a recession? And, you know, what would that mean to the farm economy? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll ask you both this question. $30,000 per acre was a sale recently in northwest Iowa in Sioux mm -hmm. County. Doesn't sound like anybody's concerned about interest rates there. No, and a lot of those sales, I, like most of them are cash money, mm -hmm. which tells you a lot about uh, that. And I think that's the strength. I think we'd be in a, a different situation if this, you know, uh, people were borrowing money to go do this, because then that's, that's, I think that would probably make the bankers nervous. Mm -hmm. Does 30K make a banker nervous? It absolutely would. But the, as, as Chris is saying, they're not lending on that. Those are cash sales. You would, I mean, you better be raising something other than corn and soybean to make those numbers work. They don't work unless you're moving Disney World into that, is coming into that area, and that's not going to happen. So you mentioned interest rates. Let's also discuss the news of the week, the rail strike. Uh, again, another union voted down. <clears throat> that's another one. There's still another one that approved. We have this river movement of grain issue impacting basis up and down the upper Midwest impacted the rail strike long-term, or at least uh, immediate term? Well, it would be negative. I mean, if you can't move the product where you need to go, it would probably drop, and then you're probably gonna see big moves in basis. Mm -hmm. um, I think the closest thing we saw was during the early part of the pandemic where all the grain was, uh, they couldn't move the grain up in Canada, right? It was just sitting there, because they couldn't move because the rail cars, it was, they were making more money filling them up with oil, so all that grain set there. So I would look to that, what happened with those prices up there. That's the biggest risk. And, and you know, is it going to come down to the, the, the ninth hour or whatever, however it's going to come? It's, I think it is on December 9th. Mm -hmm. We're going to decide. Um, I think it would be negative for the whole country, not just, but it would really affect a lot of farmers it's, negatively. I mean, I'm in the belly of the beast. Right. Omaha, Nebraska. Nebraska 
in terms of per capita rail workers most in the nation. And we're talking about four unions out of 12 voted it down. And they're not going to cross the picket line. I, if there's even one or two unions that still are negative on it, they're not going to, I don't think they'll cross the picket line. So it, back to Chris's issue there. So the worker, my understanding, some of the reasons they're voting no is not over pay. No, it's not But pay. it's over working conditions. Right. Remember the sentiment not too long ago was the worker had the advantage. Does the worker still have the advantage in this discussion of rail? At this point in time, they do. And they, they will. I, I think there's going to be mm -hmm. con congressional intervention. And we're talking about around December the 3rd to the 9th is uh, you're going to have the strikes there. And I think we'll see congressional intervention this time, and I don't, I don't think we should. I think this should be settled, and, but I, 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 there may have to be binding arbitration, for example, but I don't know if there will be an agreement to go to binding arbitration where you have to accept the outcome of this panel. Hmm. A lot of trains going to Mexico with beef, with corn, with parts. What about ethanol? Ethanol. Biggest, biggest ethanol producing state in America and the second biggest in, in Nebraska. Ethanol goes by rail. And it ends up in New Mexico, but Mexico recently said, we're not gonna take any more of this GM corn right. in 2024. They're buying a whole lot of US goods right now, Ernie. Uh, if I'm in Mexico, am I concerned about this rail strike in the United States trying to get a lot of stuff in? Oh, absolutely. Before things change? Absolutely. It's not just the rail, but you're talking about trucker shortages. We were 80,000 truckers short about, say, four or five months ago. We've made some of that ground up. We're talking about loading docks where the products are not coming in as fast as they should. They're not going out as fast as they should. So this compounds it. When we ask the, uh, the, our bankers about one of the biggest concerns they have, supply chain disruptions already. This is before the impending rail strike. So this, as Chris said, we're talking about $2 billion a day cost, but it's going to be across America, but it's going to be centered, I won't say centered, but focused here significantly. Yeah, I think that's a risk. We talk a lot about China and Brazil. We're going to start adding Mexico to a greater concern, mm -hmm. right, into the corn market specifically? Lately, yeah, late, lately they've been our best uh, buyer, you know, and uh, China's actually kind of backed off corn. They've been a pretty good buyer of soybeans, but in general, our exports for corn are behind where they need to be, behind where they should be, however you want to describe it, not, not as, uh, as, as strong as they had been. And then we just had this cattle on feed where the, we found out how you know, small the herd is. Uh, that's going to affect demand for, for corn. So I think that's mm -hmm. something to watch too. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, and and it's, it's nice to have uh, Mexico um, continue to buy corn. You did mention the fact that there's concern that they aren't going to take our GMO corn at some point down the line. Uh, in my opinion, I could be wrong, but in my opinion, they'll, they'll find a solution to that because at the end of the day, it's, it's something that they need. Um, there's a, obviously the issues with, you know, uh, GMO versus non-GMO, but I, at the end of the day, I think if they need the corn, they're going to figure out a way to do it. But, but what about uh, the inflation and Biden's inflation and deficit reduction plan, which calls for 40% reduction in CO2 emissions, and you're talking about emissions from ethanol plants, and if that moves to 40%, they require that to move down by 40%, that's costly to corn. So we need some uh, more forward-looking than we've seen in the past in terms of GMO corn, but also in terms of ethanol, the CO2 emissions. 
I know you watch the show on a regular basis, Ernie. Absolutely. I'm putting I'm you on the spot. We're going to use that in a promo. Uh, John Roach was on. You've seen John Roach on oh, the show course. a time or two. He said in Market Plus a couple of weeks ago, he cited inflation as the biggest reason is energy tied, not necessarily for a global story. Do you fall into that camp as well, that part of the biggest reason inflation is going up so high around the world is because of energy and maybe some of the Biden policies spreading to other parts of the globe? Absolutely. That is a big, big part of it. But oil is coming down, has come down in price. And I think long term, I'm not as concerned about that. I'm concerned about the policies that are coming out of Washington, particularly as it affects this part of the country. And we're talking about, again, climate change legislation or some call it climate change legislation without knowing, without understanding the differential impacts across the nation. Another policy is the Farm Bill. We just had an election where we'll have a split Congress. That's good, by the way. That's, there's many who think that's good. What do you see about a, a Farm Bill, uh, how that a split Congress shapes that piece of legislation? I think it's going to be good for far, the Farm Bill that's going to come out. I think there's going to be voting favorably, and but I, th well, I would like to see more of a long-term solution to the, the part, this part of the country, and that means w those of us who are we're high users of of energy, and the inner, in other words, when we talk about climate change, they think about it on the east and west coast, but right here is where big we're big users in terms of driving greater distances. We're talking about Iowa is the center, the center. Of, of renewable fuels, renewable energy generation, whether it's ethanol, whether it's uh, 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 wind turbines, all that. You also got our political ads too, watching from your TV, Martin. You saw those same things. <laughs> but I didn't get my check on that one. <laughs> uh, Chris, let's start with the wheat market quick here. Uh, dry continues to be the story domestically. We have an agreement, an extension to allow port exports in Ukraine. What's the biggest mover on wheat here in this short week? You know, it's interesting. There's so many reasons to be, want to be bullish wheat fundamentally. We've got tight stocks. There's concern that it, we are planning into, you know, dry, too dry. We'll have to find out if, if uh, enough uh, fertilizer actually got hit the ground because it was so dry. I think that's going to be the, the talk for the next three, four months. And then we also have what's going on in South America. Are we going to have another drought watch down there? Uh, wheat, you know, it was interesting. The best cash sale opportunities producers had really came, unfortunately, out of what was going on in Ukraine. Um, you can go back and look. Every spike that came out of that part of the world was short-lived and, and had no legs, right? We just had a, uh, about a month and a half ago, we had a $2 rally, $2.20 rally. We're right back. We've given back half of it today. Um, of course, it's the middle of the week, but we're, for, especially for Kansas City, a hard wheat, it's sitting right at a kind of a critical level. You level. You've got Chicago wheat at eight dollars. You've got KC wheat at nine dollars. If those levels fail, you could see more uh, long liquidation. So people want to be long, but if they don't get paid to be long, they won't stay forever. And I think that's the concern as we finish the end of the year. We're into the holiday markets. You see the type of whippy actions we had every night. You go to bed. It's a ten or fifteen cent trading range. So I would be. Um, uh, very, very careful getting too bullish or too bearish here, but we've got key levels coming up here that have to hold for wheat. Just don't sleep, Chris. That's, the, that's how you do <laughs> it, know. right? You gave right. up sleep for Lent 27 well, there's, years ago. There's a 3 a.m. push, you know, and I'm almost, I'm almost to the point where I'm going to wake up at 3, but I, I've refused yeah. to do it so far. Let's go back to corn. Uh, talked a little bit about Mexico. Big buyer again. Does that help the 
U.S. market when they keep buying? I mean, they've always been buying, but they're increasing. Well, and also to the percentage compared to everybody else, now they're becoming more important. So yeah, um, especially for corn, because our corn exports are lower than they need to be. And again, this is all going to come every month. The USDA has got another report. Mm -hmm. Sooner or later, they're going to 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 actually grind through the numbers and say, okay, we have not had the exports that we thought we would have. Therefore, it changes the carryout. So I think that the uh, December report, probably not that big a deal, but certainly the January 12th report, where we get the final numbers, final production, that's going to set the tone in a lot of ways. And unless there's a, a weather issue, um, there could be some downside risk for the grains. Uh, moving to, let's say, the end of the year, you kind of talk about, you know, the up and downs, whipsaw. Moving forward the January 12th, in between, say I just had my Thanksgiving meal with family and I had to listen to someone say they sold on a rally. What do I do to try to capture anything of my pride and some of my <laughs> money back? Well, this is a bit of a year where if you haven't had your orders resting at the elevator, you've missed them. They've, some of these spikes have been there for literally minutes or hours, and they haven't la lasted. There has been no follow-through on any of these rallies. Um, I would say this. If, uh, if you're storing anything, you need to get a floor under it. You need to have your risk on paper. Putting a floor under it is not getting bearish. It's not calling a top, but you need to protect that revenue. Um, moving ahead to next year, you've still got, if you look at these 23 corn already, you look at November uh, 23 beans, those are still at good levels. You've got these 23 corn uh, well above six bucks, kind of teetering there at 610, but that's a key level. And then you also have had multiple times where new crop soybeans, they can't get above $14, can't get above $14. So if you're saying what's your risk looking out the rest of the year, you can point to the summer lows, right? We, we actually have had a nice rally since those summer lows. And uh, so if I'm looking out as a roadmap saying, okay, what am I worried about? I would start with those lows. All right, quickly on beans. Uh, I received a lot of messages about Brazil and challenges there. Is that gonna impact the soybean market here anytime soon? Oh, absolutely, because they're uh, not only have plenty of supply, but they're uh, around 80 cents uh, cheaper. So every time that there's a possibility that somebody might wanna buy US, uh, from our US port, it's cheaper in South America. So I think that's gonna to continue to be pressuring uh, our prices up here. Ernie, what does the, in your states, when, what do they pay attention to when it comes to global stories and how they make decisions? Is it Brazil, is it China, is it Mexico, is it, no, I just care about me. Oh, I don't think it's that way. I, I think back to Chris's earlier point about inflation, your point about inflation and, and how it is affecting interest rates. Interest rates are a big issue going forward. And I think, I think I'm very happy that people sort of listen to us, but they need to really listen to what the, those on the open market committee, the interest rate setting committee of the Federal Reserve. And I don't vote on that committee, neither, neither do, do you or Chris. And they're, going to, they're, they're telling us they're raising rates. So, but looking at that, another issue regarding particularly corn, I think, is the barge traffic down the lower Mississippi. There's some real issues, there are some real issues there. That's reported in, by our bankers. They also talk about drought conditions, particularly uh, west of the Missouri. In, in our survey, that would be, of course, Nebraska, Kansas, Colorado, and Wyoming. And uh, of course, then up north of North Dakota and South Dakota, not as much Iowa, of course, but also land prices. We ask about farmland prices are continuing to grow despite these weaker farm conditions. And we asked the bankers, look into 2023, and they're saying 
they're going to see it plateau, most of them. Some even said decline, about 20% decline in farm land prices. Now we'll wait and see if that happens in 2023. But farm and the farmers saying, well, I don't sell land. I sell what's on the land. And they're, they're like, I mean, we're all thinking, well, you've gotten rich. No, you sell corn, soybean, other things. But those are things they're talking about particularly. Uh, and again, the supply chain disruptions, labor shortages. I mean, the farmers aren't, in this part of the country aren't big uh, uh, users of labor that would be off the farm. But they still, it still makes a difference. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's hard to find somebody to run the grain cart or, or oh. help at the harvest in addition to those that... Maybe in the vegetable area, it's a whole lot different. So it's also in the dairy market. Uh, I'm not going to ask you a dairy question. Let's go to live cattle first. But in the livestock market, labor is always a story there. But drought has also been a big topic. What do you see live cattle? What headwinds do they face? Or do they got the wind at their sails right now? They have their wind at their sails right now. I mean, you were at five and a half year highs. You know, that's, that's something that, uh, and, and this last cattle on feed report, you can look at the deferred months, but deferred months go out June, July, August of next year. They're all at or near contract highs. So the market's telling you that it, it's trying to price in less supply and continue good demand. You know, repeatedly we've been told, up oh, recession, people are going to stop spending this, that, other thing. Mm -hmm. Haven't really seen it yet. It hasn't kicked in yet, fortunately. You still have people, you know, uh, going out and, and paying up for uh, certainly premium cuts of meat. So that hasn't completely um, hit yet, which I think is a blessing. But uh, yeah, if you just look at the charts and if you look at the supply and demand numbers we just got from the cattle on feed, you know, it's, you can't rebuild the cattle herd like you can the hog herd. It takes a while to replace, you know, two million animals. So. Takes a while. Uh, feeders, I believe, I'm going off memory, 94%. Yes. Uh, that catches up, though, eventually. Some, yes. but w do you see a sign? I, I was told by a cattle person last week that they said, once you start to see some retention, that's a good indicator for the market. Do you subscribe yeah, to that? Yeah, absolutely. But at the end of the day, we have to deal with what the price is, too. And, and I, I think that for too long, we've been trading price and not really fundamentals. This may be the year we finally get back to trading fundamentals. And if you look out, again, it's the deferred months. It's not what's happening currently right now. It's, it's, that's a problem. And um, it's, it's, like I said, it's not going to be fixed overnight. And... Uh, so if you're, if you're a cattle producer, if you're a cow-calf, or if you're uh, you know, raising fat cattle, these are great prices. Take advantage of them. Um, you know, historically, you don't, you don't need to, uh, a, a big roadmap to go and see that these are worth protecting. And if our inputs are expensive, this is going to be the year where you've got to keep your pencil really sharp about what it's costing you to get from point A to point B. Hogs, let's close with them uh, for you. Uh, do you... Let's see, as we closed on Tuesday, up a little bit, back above $90. Still a good price. Yeah, and there's a little bit of a spread there between new crop and old crop. I'm, the, the deferred months, again, have a nice bid out there. Um, you know, the, the number one thing you have to worry with hogs, I think, is if there is any return to any sort of, uh, you know, the, the viruses that we've had, something like that, that's always a risk. But uh, the second thing I would look at, too, is you've had a, a continued interest in the financial community. They want to be long lean hogs and they're long live cattle. That's probably, you know, it's almost a force in nature. If those guys change their mind and they decide to start liquidating those positions. And, and we've seen that just recently in, in the hogs. You know, we had a $17 break. Now we're right back up at the, at the, top, at the top of that move. So what I've been trying to work with producers and telling them is like when you get these good prices 
Sometimes they're not going to last for two, three months. Um, certainly, I'm not here sitting saying I can't go higher, but when they give you the gift, when they want it so bad that they can't stand it, make sure that you let them have some or, or protect it because it might not last. All right, Ernie, hold on. Before you chime into that, I, when you hear Chris say something like that, and, and you're a banker mm -hmm. uh, in Norfolk, Nebraska, and you hear that, is the siren going off of what... Something's about to happen, or do you think that your four, four five, six-month decline here is, has been the indicator of <clears throat> trouble times ahead? In the short term, I think long term we're good to go. I mean, long term meaning the second half of 2023. The first half is going to be a bit bumpy. But I'd also like to raise the issue of Xi Jinping in China. A market's been closed down. The economy has been closed down. He's under pressure to open that economy up. And what that means to soybean and pork particularly, I think that's going to be good. So I think we're looking at that. The bankers are looking at that closed economy. The value of the dollar has been very strong until recently. It's cooled down. That's good for agriculture. I'll follow up with uh, China in Market Plus. You good for that? I am All good. Right, stick around. That's Ernie Goss from Creighton University. Chris Robinson, regular market analyst. Gentlemen, good to see you. Thank you so much for uh, enjoying one of these years at this turkey talk. I'll bring turkey. <laughs> All right. uh, that's going to do it for this show. We will put a pin in the discussion and continue in Market Plus, which is available free on our website at markettomarket.org. Now, we're also going to see a whole lot of great images from rural America. You know, we talk about the harvest and the planting. Those are all pretty. But we really like to see what creative and what things are going on in your farm now. Post it on Instagram. Tag us at Mark to Market Show. We'll put it in our stories feed and you can see some of the great images from around the world. Next week, we are going to take a look at transportation of the commodities on the nation's rails and inland waterways and continue our discussion like we always do each week here on Market to Market. Thanks for watching. Have a great week. Market to Market is a production of Iowa PBS, which is solely responsible for its content. What's the most complex industry on Earth? It's not genetics, or meteorology, or logistics. It's a business that involves them all. It's farming. Thank you, farmers, from Pioneer. Tomorrow, for over 100 years, we've worked to help our customers be ready for tomorrow. Trust in tomorrow. Information is available from a Grinnell Mutual agent today.